All right, we're coming at you today with a pretty pressing question. Does God make people gay? Are people born gay? Um, do people naturally have those inclinations? That's a pretty big question, um, especially in light of you actually preached a sermon pretty recently about the gospel for the LGBT plus community. Yep. And basically you were pointing out that scripture does teach that that lifestyle is sinful, but there is grace for them. There's forgiveness and there's also hope for change. Yeah. So I think it just leads naturally to the question, okay, so people in that community, are they naturally that way? So what, yeah. Yeah, what, what do they do? That's a, yeah, it's such, a, such an important question and, and you hear it so often whenever this comes up. So I think just that question, just to jump right into it, there's a few different assumptions in the question, right? Because this is very much a, a question specific to our modern culture. This is not a question that you necessarily would have heard in past cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few assumptions, right? One is that desires are a natural thing. So if you want mm-hmm. something that's natural and even that you can't change those desires and that because you have these desires, they therefore must be good. Mm-hmm. And to not act upon those desires would be to suppress, you hear that word a lot, right? It's a fundamental piece of who you are. Mm-hmm. It might even be damaging or unhealthy. You know, I, I saw, um, I was looking at some some articles about the, the shooting. I forget what the the place was, but it was a shooting a couple of years ago uh, of that salon, that massage parlor. Mm-hmm. And at first it was sort of framed as a, you know, a racist attack against Asians because five of the seven women who were killed were Asian. But as it came out, it was, you know, it was clear that the, the guy had a problem, the guy who went to the shooting had a problem of he was going to this parlor and it was, you know, essentially prostitution. And so for some reason he reacted by killing these women. It's a really horrible thing. But people were in the comment section of this saying, well, the problem is that he went to a church that tells him that there are certain sexual boundaries. And if he just knew that he should just express himself, there'd be no problem. And so that's kind of how we view it. It's, well, yeah. If you have a desire, especially a sexual desire, you not only should... But you kind of have to express it. Otherwise, I don't know. You're going to become a mass murderer or something. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how we view this. So, But this, this way of thinking was totally foreign to past societies. Because in past societies, they wouldn't be asking, you know, am I born this way? Who do I want to mm-hmm. be with? Whatever. It really would have been a question of what's my role in society. And then you would follow that role. So you knew you were made for a purpose. And so it didn't matter all that much if you wanted to have sex with one kind of person versus another, it was all about, well, how do I play my role in society well? How do I bring honor? How do I you know, pass on my name to the next generation? So that was kind of the focus. But now we are very individualistic. We've separated procreation from sex, right? Um, we view things very differently. So this question needs to be answered. So let's just kind of break this into a few parts, right? So first, are we born with certain inclinations or tendencies or temptations? Well, yes, the Bible is clear about this. There are certain things that you're going to desire, some neutral, some bad, that are they just kind of come up in your heart because you're a sinner, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, doesn't mean these things are good, but the Bible tells us that when Adam sinned, that sin spreads to all people. So our natural state as humans is to be bent toward sin. So Ephesians 2 is one of those passages that talks yeah. about this. When he's talking about being spiritually dead, our natural condition is to be spiritually dead. And he says in Ephesians 2, 3, Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's saying here you're born desiring certain things. There's certain desires that you have that you want to carry out, and you're also by nature a child of wrath. So you know we can kind of get into that, but whatever that means, <laughs> it's clearly not a good thing. No. And what I would say is that means that you are naturally headed towards the wrath of God because of your sin. So what you are by nature is not necessarily gonna should not necessarily direct the course of your life. In fact, probably shouldn't. You should, yeah, <laughs> you should try to try to find yeah. a solution to that. Yeah. So this is a good reason to not simply resign to who you are by nature, whether that's homosexuality or any other sin. We see it in Genesis eight twenty one as well. After the flood, when God brings judgment, God says this. He says, "I will never again curse the ground because of man." For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So he's looking at the, the nature of man, and he's saying men are going to be bent toward evil. That is a natural thing. So there's desires, there's intentions, inclinations toward evil. And so this also means that we don't necessarily choose the temptations that we face. right? So for, for one person, that may be a sexual sin. For another, that may be, may be greed. These are things that naturally come up in our heart. Even if yeah. we were raised in a in the most perfect, sinless environment, we would still have natural temptations towards sin. Now that, you know, being in that kind of environment might help. It might yeah. mean we're less tempted for certain things, but we would still have temptations, right? So for me, I, there's certain things I've never been tempted with. I've never been tempted personally to do drugs. I've never been tempted to get drunk which is impressive because I'm Irish. So that's a, that's a big deal. <laughs> but crazy. I just have never, that's never really been a thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you grew up in Santa Cruz, so you yeah. probably were tempted with pot all the time, right? <laughs> I, I mean, presented, but not necessarily tempted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, again, some, some, one person can look at something and go, why would I ever want that? But when I hit puberty, sexual temptation was a big thing, right? Absolutely. And all of a sudden, it's like, no one taught me that, but that's something that's naturally I'm drawn to or pride, right? That's absolutely something that naturally, mm-hmm. so to speak, comes to me, natural temptations. So no one ever had to teach me those things. Right. They just sprung out of my heart. And and I'm sure you know you could say the same thing for yourself. Absolutely. So Mark 7.21 is a great passage that gives us some, some of the anthropology here, some of understanding of humanity. So Mark 7.21, Jesus says, For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So what the Bible clearly teaches is that we are tempted in certain ways because we are bent towards sin. So where, does, where do these sinful desires come from? They come from within, from who we are at the deepest level. And this reminds us that we need help. We need to have this fixed. So if you want to ask, you know, if someone is born with a certain inclination towards sin, in this case, homosexuality, then we could say, yeah, to some degree that could be true. Someone could be born and they say, I don't want to be tempted this way, but I am tempted this way because my heart is bent toward evil. But we have to go further. Right. We have to ask the question, are my desires inherently good? And and I would say, well, there's... there's no one I've ever met who's going to answer that question with a yes. They're not going to say every desire that you have is good and should be acted upon. We all have certain things that we would say in our culture because of our values. No, don't act on that. 
desire. Don't act on that temptation. So all believe all all cultures believe that. And in our culture, if someone is a psychopath, we wouldn't say, well, treat humans however you want to treat them. You know, that's yeah. just who you are. You didn't choose that, so therefore you should act on those desires. No, of course not. We would say you need to restrain those desires because those are disordered desires. Regardless of how right. you're born, regardless of what your your brain might be like, that's a problem. In fact, um, one illustration I share pretty often on this topic is Tim Keller's uh, illustration of the, the gay Anglo-Saxon warrior. And I, I think this is such a helpful um, illustration, I'll just kind of paraphrase it, but he poses the question of, okay, what, what if there's a what if there's a Viking warrior from, I don't know, the 1300s, and he has two strong desires, right? One desire is to smash and kill his enemies because he, you know, if anyone dishonors his his tribe or his culture, if anyone um, you know stands up against them, he's going to crush them to protect and you know leap the flourishing of his people. So that's one value he has because of the culture, or you know, just deep in his heart, he wants to harm other people who offend him. And the other desire he has is toward homosexuality, right? So he has a homosexual desire. He wants to be with, with other men. So in his culture, one of those is going to be expressed because it's valued in the culture, and one is going to be suppressed. Right. So that what's going to be expressed is killing your enemies. That's actually a very helpful desire in that culture because it allows the tribe to, to flourish and to expand. Obviously, right, we know this from history, right? This is a very important thing. So he expresses one desire, becomes a great warrior, and he suppresses the other, and he decides to get married and have kids and, and to push that aside. Now, if you fast forward to modern-day Santa Cruz, if there's somebody who's also of the same inclination, you take that person, you transport them to today, to our culture, and they have the same desires to smash people and kill them and to be homosexual. In our culture, we're going to say one of those is not only okay, but it's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be homosexual, express that desire, but the other desire, we're going to say, no, of course not. You can't express that. So the, the point I think Tim Keller makes and that I want to make is that is it possible that both cultures misunderstand something about who we should be and what God calls us to? That's not one culture that is superior to others, but really both cultures are flawed because every culture has its own sinful bent. It's, it's shaped by sinful people who have certain desires. Right. And so we, we come naturally thinking, of course, this is good and this is bad. But what does God's word say? Yeah. So no one would say, express all of your desires. That would be crazy. It would lead to very, very terrible things. But we know what desires are good and what desires are bad from God's word. Right. And I, I think there's so much confusion about this. My mind goes straight to just all the Disney movies that talk about being yourself. You got to be who you are. And if you're not being who you are in order to please someone else and... Yeah. You're messing up, I think of Frozen. Just let it go. You let know. it go, man. Yeah, let it go. and so which which yeah. is funny because that song obviously is like promoting our modern culture's values. Yeah, but if you watch the movie, not to do you know, mm -hmm. not to theologize <laughs> too much, but in the movie, once she does that, once she expresses herself and her desires, it leads to everyone everyone being devastated <laughs> and <Yeah>. destroyed. <laughs> yeah, and it's not until she learns to control that by loving others that. She, you know, right. but great point. <laughs> but all we get from the movie is the is the song, right? Which is no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let's do whatever I want. Express yourself. Um, Colossians three five shows us this that there's certain desires that are not good. Right. 
Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So there clearly are certain things that we should not express. So we need to hear from God and see what desires are good and what desires are bent away from his will. And so some people might think, well, sexual desires are in that category where it's inherently holy and good. But even then, the list of sins that the Bible gives, uh, it typically includes sexual sin of some kind, and God forbids all kinds of sexual sin, right? Lust, pornography, masturbation, sex before marriage, adultery, all things that someone might have an, an honest, earnest desire toward, right? You might say, I want to cheat on my spouse because I, I really love this person over here, and I don't love my spouse. Well, the Bible has certain rules that God's given to us for our good, so we can honor him and we can live in a way that leads to flourishing. So simply because you're born with a certain temptation doesn't mean this was caused by God and doesn't mean you should act on it. So James 1.13, another helpful verse. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, which is essentially what is being said right. if you're saying I'm born gay, God made me this way. Therefore, I should yeah. participate in that. Yeah, yeah, so I'm being tempted by God. So for, he says, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So again, that idea of the sin is inside of us. It's something that's wrong with us. And of course, the Bible doesn't just tell us what our problem is. It tells us the answer to our problem. I mean, it would be an amazing text if it just told us what was wrong with us, if it just identified that problem, because it would still be the greatest um, psychological text in human history to be able to identify our core problem which modern scientific research can't do it's not within the scope of its possibility mm -hmm. so the, the bible gives us that that answer but it also gives us a solution to the problem which is so much better right yeah, and essentially good. the bible says yes you were born in sin yes you were born with certain inclinations but you can be born again yep you can be born in a spiritual way you can become a new person and so it's so important to understand that we're sinful so that we can see the solution that's given in Jesus Christ. And that was part of what I talked about with you know my, my message on the gospel for the LGBTQ plus whatever uh, community is to say, knowing that you're sinful is a gift from God. To say there are certain things that are wrong in my life means that there's a way that they could be better. Like for right. me, when I went to the doctor and they said, you know, at 24 years old, they said, you have crazy cataracts in your eyes and you need surgery. That was not bad news for me. You know, that was, I wasn't offended because I said, oh, that means I'll be seeing better someday soon. Yeah. That they can actually fix this. And so that's how we should see it with, with sin. And so the solution, of course, is Jesus Christ who died to cleanse us from our sins, to make us into a new creature so that we could live with him in joy forever. And so that right now we can begin to turn away from our sins, right? It's not just a future eternal hope, but it's hope right now, starting right now. Eternal life begins now in how God is reshaping our lives and sanctifying us, making us like him. So a, a great passage here to just kind of end with Romans 6, 11 to 14. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if, if you've died with Christ and you've been made alive, 
then you're no longer living to your sin. You're dead to your sin. You have a new identity. Even the most ingrained sins yeah. like this. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can change. So, so he says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You don't have to give yourself over to those desires that enslave you and make you do certain things. He says, do not present your members, meaning your, your body, don't present your members to to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Just an amazing, amazing passage, right? To say you are freed because of this new identity, because you've been purchased by Christ and cleansed. You're now somebody new. You may still struggle. I would Wager guess that you will still struggle. Yeah. That there will still be ups and downs in your spiritual life. Absolutely. Maybe even with this specific sin. But don't forget who you are in the long run. Right? Look to who God has made you, who he has named you, and how he has claimed you for himself, and begin to live in that today. So this verse shows us, right, your reality's been changed by Jesus Christ, and there's hope that you can become someone new.